incident response uh, is not cheap. Um, it, it is a significant financial uh, cost for the organization if you have to go down that route to do the forensics to do the incident response. That preparation is key. You know, what's the Boy Scout motto? You know, be prepared. That that's really key when it comes down to incidents. And you know, I, I despite the fact that I work in incident response, I don't want organizations to have incidents. You are listening to the Mindful Business Security Show, brought to you by Focivity, where we answer your questions and simplify information security for small businesses. Get the clarity you need to focus on the things that matter. Hello, I'm your host, Accidental CISO, and you are listening to the Mindful Business Security Show. Welcome back. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe. We've put together another fantastic episode for you, and we really hope you enjoy it. Don't forget, you can be a part of the show. We're always looking for callers, so if you have questions about cybersecurity in your small business, be sure to sign up to ask a question. Today, we're going to be talking about cyber incident response in small businesses. My guest host today is, of course, another experienced industry veteran. For more than 20 years now, he's been responding to cyber incidents, analyzing malware, performing digital forensics investigations, and pretty much doing anything else you can think of that's involved with protecting data and systems. Today, he works for TrustedSec, where he leads their amazing incident response team. His team handles cyber incidents for companies large and small. When he isn't working and fighting cyber fires, he's a huge gaming geek and author. His work has been published in several role-playing game books. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Tyler Hudak. Hi, thank you for having me. And it is great having you here. So this show is for business leaders in small organizations, and the term incident response may not be something that our listeners are familiar with. Can you give a quick explanation of what we mean when we talk about incident response? Yeah, absolutely. So incident response is really the the process of reacting to some type of cybersecurity incident. Now, you, you, it doesn't have to necessarily be a cybersecurity incident. You can absolutely have it where you're reacting to a a natural disaster or a plague or you know something like that, something that, that's affecting business. But you know, I'm just going to focus on uh, cybersecurity. It's a reactive process where you are trying to basically resolve whatever the incident is to get back to normal operations. Uh, and you typically do this. There, there are a couple like phases that are typically defined. I think NIST was the first one who defined uh, these phases, and then a lot of other organizations have um, adopted them. But it basically boils down to, first thing you do is you detect the incident. You detect that something that's going on. Sometimes it's really obvious with something like a uh, ransomware attack. Uh, sometimes it's not as obvious if it's like a uh, an email uh, account that has been compromised. But once that's detected, then you start investigating it. You want to find out what happened then you do what's called containment. And, and this is where you take whatever actions are necessary to prevent the incident from causing further damage. So for example, if uh, you had malware, a malware outbreak, you would take those systems offline and that would prevent the malware from spreading. If you had a user ID that was compromised, you'd probably disable that user ID and so on. Then you move into eradication, uh, which is where you are just removing the attacker or whatever the cause of the incident is from your environment and then restoring back to normal operations, which is really the goal of any incident response. You want to get back to what you're uh, you're used to doing. You want to get back to that normal operations. 
that's not the final phase. The the final phase is one that a lot of companies tend to skip, and that's really kind of that after action lessons learned, you know, learning what happened from that. All of those combined, you know, from detection all the way to that lessons learned is really the whole incident response process. Yeah, so it's a lot of steps strung all together there. A lot, lot to do and a lot of really specialized knowledge that only comes with experience as you go through that. At least that's what I've seen. I would 100% agree with that. You know, you can read about all of the ransomware attacks you want or denial of service attacks that you want and so on. But until you actually live through it, you're, you're not going to get all those little gotchas that you're not, you wouldn't know otherwise other than, you know, from that experience, which honestly, and I think we'll, we'll definitely uh, talk about this later on. IR services, they're not cheap. Unfortunately, they, they are pretty expensive because of that specialized knowledge that's needed. You're getting somebody who hopefully has that experience and, you know, knowing what to do and, and how to do it properly to get you back up um, as fast as possible. Yeah. I'm curious, your hobby with role-playing games, are there any parallels you see between that hobby and what you do with incident response? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um so, so ironically, uh, right after we're done, uh, I'm going up to B-Sides Rochester to talk about this exact topic tomorrow. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a huge gaming geek, and there are, I think, a couple aspects of kind of gaming in general or even just like role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons and stuff like that that, you know, absolutely there are parallels in incident response. Um, the first is, uh, I think, on any incident, you need to be able to think fast and pivot. Things are happening quickly during an incident. It's a very high-stress environment. It's um, there's a lot of anxiety going on, and so you you kind of have to be able to think calmly and think through the the problem and the situation. And and don't get me wrong, you know there, there's definitely a difference between you know dealing with a ransomware attack affecting a Fortune 500 company versus uh, attacking a dragon in, in Dungeons and Dragons. But you still you know there are still those kind of like analytical critical thinking skills that you have. Um, additionally, one of the things that uh, you can do uh, to kind of prepare yourself for an incident is what's called a tabletop exercise. Uh, and there is little difference, honestly, between playing or running a uh, role-playing game and a uh, tabletop exercise. They're almost exactly the same. Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of difference because you're not, you know, going up against goblins, you're going up against, you know, whatever, you know, ransomware or uh, an attacker or something like that. But all, all of those, you know, skills that I've learned from, you know, just doing uh, and playing in role-playing games has absolutely helped me in, in uh, uh, my current career and, and, and all that. As weird as it sounds, uh, it, it really has. And, you know, you mentioned sort of all those phases as business leaders want to put together, you know, a plan for responding to incidents in their organization. What are some of the fundamental things that, that you see that small businesses really need to be making sure that they're thinking about as they put together these plans in order to be prepared for for the worst. Well, I, I think you you nailed it right there. To have that plan to begin with, uh, a lot of organizations, not not just small organizations, a lot even uh, large organizations, they don't have an IR plan, and, and you need that. It doesn't need to be you know anything huge, uh, especially for a small business. Um, I would say that you would probably you know want to have that document, and it specifies. Who is responsible for what? So, you know, who who is you know, going to lead the incident? Who calls your IT provider? Who calls the lawyers? What are the lawyers going to do? You know, all that. Um, 
And along those lines, you know, not only who's responsible for what, but who are you going to call and in what order? You know, do you call cyber insurance if you have it? Do you call your IT provider? Do you call legal? Do you have crisis communications? And it's important to know which order that you're doing that in because, uh, in my experience, sometimes your uh, legal team wants called first so they can put that incident under privilege and protect you. Sometimes you're required to call cyber insurance first. And so you want to have that written down so that in the midst of that very crazy anxiety inducing, you know, first couple minutes or hours of that incident, you don't have to rely on memory. You have it written down. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, IR plans for larger companies will probably have more in it, but you know, small, small businesses, you know, I would say that that's probably the minimum that they need. Uh, and then not only once you have that plan, test it out. Uh, you know, I mentioned the tabletop exercises. That's really the best way to to do that. And all a tabletop exercise is, is uh, sitting down with the right people in your organization, maybe some of your third-party providers, and walking through a mock scenario. You say something like, all right, well, let's pretend that one of our uh, accounts, uh, our email accounts got hacked, or we have ransomware in the environment, or... Uh, we had a malicious insider who took our data and posted it online or, or something like that. And you step through all of how you would expect the incidents to go. You know, who are you calling? All right, great. We call, you know, Bob over in IT. What are you doing? You know, Bob, when we tell you this, what are you doing? And so on. And you just got to go through that to make sure that your plan it works like you expect it to and that your tools work like they should. You don't have any gaps and that you um, that your providers do what, what uh, you expect them to. A great example I have of this is once I was on a tabletop exercise with an organization and we had their uh, third-party third security provider on and we were walking through trying to get an answer of, all right, well, who's going to do forensics on these systems? Um, you know, we have these systems that were compromised, the client needs answers, and the security uh, company kept kind of like dancing around it a little bit around that and until finally I said, all right, well, look, here's the situation. We have this hard drive. It needs to be forensically analyzed. Are you going to do that? And they said no. And this was a complete shock to our client because uh, our client thought that they were going to do this. And so they immediately they had a gap that they had to fill. So, you know, have that IR plan, test it. And I, I think, you know, the last thing, the last fundamental thing that I would, you know, kind of throw out there is um, incidents are inevitable. And so, Back up your data. You know, make sure you have those backups, especially for some some type of like destructive attack, like like ransomware. And not only have those backups, but keep them offline and offsite. At least have one copy that's offsite in a safe somewhere, and and test those backups. Finally, too, if your third party provider is doing your backups, you know, test it out. Don't take them at their word. Uh, one of the first incidents that I ever worked when I came over to TrustedSec was for this organization who got hit with ransomware. And they were, they were a really small organization. Uh, and so they had outsourced their IT. Uh, their IT had set up backup software for them. But after the ransomware, they found out that, oh, the server that it was backing up to was in this guy's basement. And it hadn't worked for over two or three months. And he just had never gotten around to fixing it. So the organization didn't have backups. I've even been on some where the uh, third-party provider had done backups, but they forgot the password to the backups. So the backups were there. They were being encrypted like they should, but nobody you couldn't restore because nobody knew how to decrypt the, the passwords, like legitimately decrypt, not ransomware decrypt. Ouch, that's rough. 
I mean, that's that's heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I've done some incident response engagements as well over my career and not having viable backups when you need them is just one of those heartbreaking things that uh, that happens because there is nothing you can do to help them uh, with that. <laughs> you know, if, if something's gone, it's not there. Like, it's just not there. You There's no magic wand that anyone can just, you know, wave and, and make something show up. Uh, as you go through this, you know, there's so many decisions that have to be made very quickly as you go through this. And one of the benefits of having somebody like you or your team at TrustSAC come in to help guide people through this, keep them from making mistakes as they go through and have to make these decisions very quickly. What are some of the biggest mistakes that an organization might make if they don't have that expert guidance through an incident response process? Yeah, I, I think actually the, the mistakes that I see are, they, they start before an incident even happens. So we already talked about, you know, make sure you have that plan. That, that plan is really important. Another mistake that I see a lot is assuming that, you know, you won't have an incident. We, we hear a lot from people, we're not a target. Well, uh, unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. Yeah, you may not be a target for like a state-sponsored attack group, but if you have computers and you have money, then you're a target. I would say in terms of the different types of attacks that we see, especially going after small businesses, the number one are uh, business email compromises, uh, where somebody gets into a uh, an email account and starts sending out fake invoices that get paid, or even just like the gift card scams that are going around where, you know, you get this uh, email or text supposedly from your CEO saying, hey, I need you to go out and buy these gift cards. Or, you know, somebody calls and says, hey, we're the FBI. Your boss was just arrested. We need you to go buy these gift cards or else you're going to get arrested too. That happens to small businesses all the time. So, you know, you may not necessarily have the data that somebody wants, but you have money and that's what they want. You know, assuming you won't have an incident and then, you know, just going through and not preparing for one. Like I said, you know, compromises are inevitable have that plan, know who to call for incident response, for IT, for legal, for communications, um, you know, all of that, you know, at least know beforehand, even if you don't have like a retainer set up, just know who you're going to call initially. And then finally, the, the biggest mistake that I see is waiting to ask for help. If something happens, please don't wait. The, the busiest time for my team is Friday afternoon, because what happens is somebody will get, uh, have an incident early on in the week. They feel like they can they can help or they can handle it. And then it just throughout the week, it tends to spiral out of control. And then we get called Friday afternoon. The problem with that is my team as an incident response team and really any incident response team in existence, we only have so much availability. And if you're call number six on Friday afternoon, chances are we're not going to be able to help you, or it's going to be a week or two before we can help you. Um, Depending on uh, the type of organization you're in, if you're a state-related uh, company, like or like a state government or city government or you know something related to that, there are certain groups that you can go to for free incident response. Those, though, they have a waiting time of at least three to four weeks. So the sooner you can contact somebody, the more likely you're going to be able to resolve it successfully and get the information that you need. Three to four weeks is forever <laughs> in one of these sort of uh, situations. If you were to take, you know, all this kind of boil it down, if there was like one thing you wanted every small business owner to know about incident response, what would that one thing be? You know, honestly, it's it's kind of just what to expect during an incident. Yeah, I, I think this is really just like a big unknown that 
nobody, uh, especially a, a lot of the businesses who call us for the first time who aren't previous clients, I, I should clarify, uh, Trustasec does more than just incident response. So, you know, we, we do have clients that call us for other things, but there's, I think, a lot of unknowns as to, you know, what exactly to, um, to expect during an incident. The best thing that I could say is, um, and, and, and I'll uh, give you a link for this, one of my coworkers, Liz Waddell, a couple of years ago, she um, did a presentation that's on YouTube called Help We Need an Adult Engaging an External IR Team. And basically, she w- just walks through all of the steps of this is what an incident looks like. When you call a IR team, this is what you should expect. And I think, you know, it, it, the, the talk is really only like 30 minutes long. Uh, and there is just a huge amount of information in there. So I'd highly recommend watching that and, and getting an idea of, oh, when I call incident response or I call somebody, this is what I should expect to happen. And like I said before, too, uh, another thing to remember is IR is not cheap, unfortunately. It is probably one of the more expensive services out there. It's not the most expensive service uh, security-related, but it, it, it gets up there at times. And, you know, because of that, we have a lot of uh, people, organizations who call us and, you know, they kind of get that sticker shock. But understand, too, that you may be required to have incident response done, depending on your organization and the type of data you have. You've got um, insurance uh, may require you to do it. Now, in my experience, insurance usually can get you a better rate if you have cyber insurance. Uh, they have provider panels that you can get something cheaper on. But you may have re- regulatory reasons to do incident response. Uh, your clients and partners, you may have contractual obligations to do incident response. So there are going to be a lot of reasons why you might need to do it. And so it's kind of taking that into account beforehand so you understand that you know this cost could happen, I think, is really important. Excellent. This has been really, really helpful. And I I hope that our listeners find this useful because this is not a topic that I think a lot of small business owners really think about on a regular basis. I know they know that it's dangerous and it's scary to think about getting hacked or something or having a breach, but to actually think through this stuff. I think a lot of them probably don't do that. So I I hope that our listeners, you know, are, are finding this really, really helpful. Speaking of listeners, we have a couple of callers uh, from our audience that want to ask us some questions. So if you're ready to go to the phones, we can uh, go and start taking some calls. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds great. Let's go. Do the cybersecurity risks to your business have you confused? Visit Focivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast. And sign up to be a caller on a future episode. So here we are jumping into the phones. Uh, we have our first caller waiting on the line for us. Hello, how is it going today? Thanks for having me on, uh, AC. Um, I'm Holler from New York. Um, I recently moved from um, a large enterprise. The last couple of places I was at was large. Now I'm at a small organization with about 300 individuals. And so one of the things that I've been hit with is being handed off, uh, you know, here, here's some vendors that want to talk to you, you know, in your new role. And I wanted to know what should a smaller, medium-sized business be looking for in guidance in topics of DR and IC because everybody wants to sell me something. Yeah, absolutely. So when you say IC, uh, I mean, does it, DR I'm is- sorry, it- IR. Oh, okay. All right. So, so DR, disaster recovery, and IR being incident response. Okay, gotcha. Um, so uh, first off, you're right. You know, if any vendor who uh, wants to, to uh, 
uh, talk to you. They're, they're going to be trying to sell you something. I, this coming from uh, you know, somebody who works for a vendor. There are really two, like, especially for smaller businesses, there's two resources that I know of AC. I'm not sure if, uh, I'm sure you, you probably know of others, but um, CS, CISA.gov. They have uh, what's called the Cyber Guidance for Small Businesses. Uh, they It's a lot of like really good guides on, you know, for, for the, the smaller businesses, you know, how do you protect yourself? What what should you be doing? Not necessarily just in uh, disaster recovery and incident response, but, you know, in, in all areas of security. Uh, additionally, uh, NIST has uh, their own version as well called the Small Business Cybersecurity Corner. And, you know, I think between the two of these, these are going to have like a lot of really good guides on on the topics. For incident response uh, and disaster recovery, I think after that you're probably you know going to be getting into looking into specific topics or maybe even uh, places like uh, like ISACs or if you have like a local InfraGuard or um, ISACA or you know something like that, they'll, they'll have uh, likely information for you or places that that you can go to grab that. But in terms of what to look for you know, or what type of information you should be getting. Um, it, I guess it really depends on the maturity of your organization. You know, if you're just starting out, you know, you'd probably want to look for things like how to set up that incident response program, how to write an incident response plan, uh, how to to detect and protect yourself. If you've already kind of gone through that and you're starting to walk through those uh, maturity steps, then probably want to look at you know, maybe a little bit more advanced topics. You know, start start digging into things like doing a threat hunt or how would you do a threat hunt in order to kind of like proactively look for those uh, attackers in your environment. So like incident response is reactive, threat hunting is proactive, where you're just kind of assuming you've been breached and you're going out and, you know, kind of looking for that stuff. And you can obviously do it yourself or hire somebody to do it and, and so on. But but I think a lot of the information that, that you would want to find is really, you know, what does a good incident response program look like uh, for for you and for your industry? Each vertical, I think, kind of has its own mindset or uh, requirements for that. So, you know, if you're in manufacturing, that's going to look different than healthcare, than education, than, you know, any other vertical. AC, let me, let me kind of throw this to you. You know, I'm sure you have some good resources too. Yeah, and I think a lot of small businesses, especially, we it seems like every episode it ends up coming up, uh, managed service providers. A lot of small businesses are using IT managed service providers to provide just basic IT support because they're not a large enough organization to have a full-time IT staff. Those managed service providers should be able to give you some guidance. And a lot of times they will have an incident response firm that they work with regularly that can help. So your IT provider, if you have one of these managed service providers, may be able to provide you some some help in finding a partner that they are already familiar with and used to working with and can maybe get you set up with a retainer or something like that with an IR provider as well so that when you do have something go wrong and you need them, you know, heaven forbid, you're not waiting two, three, four weeks for them to be able to get to you. Like having that relationship in place ahead of time through that managed service provider, through a retainer or something like that may help you be able to get a hold of somebody to ask the questions much more early on. And if you know who that's going to be, you know, Tyler talked about it earlier in the show, if you know who that's going to be, you don't have that sort of cognitive load of just trying to figure out like, who even should I call? 
to make you decide, well, I don't know if it's bad enough if I should call anybody because I don't want to even figure out, have to figure out who to call at that point. If you already know who to call, you can call them and talk to them and they can help you very quickly figure out like, yes, do we need to spin up a, a response or is this likely just an IT operations problem or something? Thank you. And I guess following up with that, when it comes to um, testing disaster recovery or incident response, how often should um, a smaller business be doing that? Is that quarterly, yearly? Uh, what is, what should we be aiming for? In my, in my opinion, it's at minimum one once a year. Uh, it would be better if you could do it quarterly. One of the recommendations that I would make is make sure that you're not just doing it for like IT uh, or like the technical sides of the business. You know, make sure that the business side is in there as well because they're going to be the decision makers in, in some of these incidents. Um, so, for example, if if you did uh, like a IR drill or disaster recovery drill on, on ransomware, you need to talk about do you pay the ransom? IT is not going to be deciding that. That's going to be you know your business uh, senior leadership within your organization and legal and and so on, you're going to have to communicate to clients, to partners, to internal employees, to the media. I, again, IT is not, or hopefully isn't the, the ones who are doing that. Your corporate communications or marketing or, or somebody is going to have to do that. So, you know, when you do these exercises, make sure that they're uh, involved uh, and when you do that. Now, do you need to, you know, have them on every one? No, it, it probably doesn't make sense to, especially if you're doing like a pure technical one. But I would say at least once a year, you know, make sure that they're involved so that they can, you know, kind of see, you know, that side of it too and understand that they do need to make decisions and be a part of, you know, some of these. And something I talk with my clients about too is the different drills that they need to be doing. Um, so IR, incident response is one piece for cyber instance, but just business continuity in general is going to be a different plan. And disaster recovery is going to be a different plan. And they are interrelated to some degree. But each of those three things need to be thought through, as Tyler said, at least annually when you when you go through these. And some things need to be tested more regularly than that. And you know, we talked very early on in the show about backups and having viable backups that you're actually capable of restoring. You know, you don't want to be in the middle of a, an IR and realize that your backup can't restore because all of a sudden now you're you're sitting in a, the war room going, well, looks like we got to pay the ransom. Game over, man. Uh, you know, because you, you can't restore the data at that point. It's just gone. So pieces of your disaster recovery plan, can we restore our data from backups? Those need to be done more regularly than once a year because you don't want to find out that your backups haven't been working for the last 30 or 60 days at the worst opportunity or worst time, uh, most inopportune time for that. So I would say, yeah, just it depends on the pieces of it. Some pieces are more important to test regularly and then the entire plan end to end, you know, at least annually, but make sure that you're testing each of those three different things. Business continuity being more about just can we operate the business if there's a lot of times natural disasters, uh, you know, anything that kind of happens in the business environment around you. Disaster recovery is more about being able to recover and restore services when something happens. And then instant response is when you've got like an active threat, some sort of cyber thing going on in your system. Just to kind of add to that a little bit, you know, I, you brought up a really good point, you know, of, of testing, you know, all three of these. I think another thing that organizations need to realize is that most disaster recovery or business continuity plans 
they're they're meant for that you know uh, like a data center going going down or you know a natural disaster they're not meant to respond to a ransomware attack that takes down your entire IT infrastructure like literally everything gone um and and so you need to take that into account you know when you're doing that you know imagine uh, ransomware is probably the closest thing to waking up one morning and everything is gone in your organization all, all of your your resources um and so at that point you know what do you do from there cuz a lot of times when I talk to an organization and we're doing a ransomware tabletop, one of the things we, we talk about is, all right, well, you have 50% of your workstations encrypted. How do you restore those? And what normally happens is we hear, all right, well, you know, we just re-image those. You know, they send it into us and they re-image it. And, you know, that's fine. But, all right, you have remote employees. Can you do it remotely? No. How long does it take you to re-image one laptop? Four hours? Okay. You have 500 laptops you have to re-image. How are you going to do that? Yeah, you can do some in parallel, but you can't work your IT people to death. You know, they can't work 24 hours a day for weeks on end. So there's a lot of other different things within that that you have to take into account to as well. Not to paint, you know, all doom and gloom, but um, yeah, there there is you know a lot to to think about. Unfortunately, yeah, it's definitely a scary topic. <laughs> Was that helpful, uh, Holler? I I hope this has answered your questions and this has been good information for you. Yeah, no, this has been great. And uh, I thank you for taking the time to talk with me about it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for being here. We love having callers with great questions and spawns good conversation. And now we're going to jump to our second caller. This is John in the southwestern United States. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. How can we help you today? Well, managing infrastructure and being responsible for the data of a small company that has an international customer base. I'm curious, we're, we're kind of bound by, at a minimum, multiple state laws, industry regulations like PCI DSS, and international regulations like GDPR, because we have customers in Asia and we have customers in Europe and we maintain databases of customer information, basic customer information anyway. So what I'm wondering is, when suffering a breach or a ransomware incident, or, or maybe even you just you have the surfacing of a group of indicators of compromise that suggests that there may have been a breach, how, how do you find affordable resources to insist in defining an appropriate response to all the potentially thousands of parties entitled to some form of disclosure? It, it seems like reaching out for help from a digital forensics and incident response team from, say, CrowdStrike, for example, would be quite a financial event. And and that pretty much touches on kind of the, the help or information that I'm looking for. Uh, and, you know, I would 100% agree with you on that. You know, incident response uh, is not cheap. Um, it, it is a significant financial uh, cost for the organization if you have to go down that route to do the forensics, to do the incident response. A couple of ways that I think that it can sometimes be more affordable for organizations, obviously, if you have cyber insurance, typically, if you have cyber insurance, there are cyber insurance uh, providers uh, for incident response and forensics that are typically at a lower cost. They typically have to agree to a lower rate for the organization or to become uh, on the the panel. Uh, sometimes you can keep it down that, that way. Now, of course, 
it's going to depend on your policy if it'll all be in reimbursed or if you have a deductible that you have to spend. So if you have like a $100,000 deductible, probably doesn't matter who you're going with. But you know that that's definitely one way. Uh, another way is when you talk to an IR firm, um, if you do need, if you have an SNA and do need to go down that route and have that forensics done, you know, see if they can scope it down a little bit. You know, sometimes the more information you can give an organization, uh, especially an IR organization, when you first call them, the easier it's going to be for them to scope it out. To, to kind of put it into perspective, if, if somebody calls me and they say we've had a breach and we start asking them questions. You know, how many computers do you have on your network? They've got, you know, 500 computers. All right, well, what was hit? We don't know. Do you have antivirus? No. Do you have firewall logs? Yes, but they're only on, they're not centralized. They're only on the firewall. There's a lot of unknowns. And so we have to sometimes scope that out a little bit bigger than it might normally be. If it gets scoped out bigger, it's going to be more of a cost. Um, so the more information you can give your IR team or the provider you're calling is going to to help a lot. And uh, AC, I think you, you mentioned this on uh, a different call, that um, if you use like an MSP for uh, your IT provider, a lot of times they either have partnerships that they can put you in touch with, with and get a lower cost, um, or they may be, even be able to do the incident response uh, themselves. Now, I, I will admit um, my experience with MSPs doing incident response, especially like IT, pure IT MSPs, you have to be kind of be careful there because they may have incident response listed on their uh, list of services, but they really can't do it. They don't. They don't have the experience doing it. Um, so just do the due diligence to make sure that they can actually do what they're saying that they can do for you. And I mean, the, the only other w- way that I know of of keeping the cost down, and, and I'll fully admit, there's unfortunately there's not a lot of really good like low cost options out there for incident response or forensics. I know if, uh, and I think I mentioned this before, but if you are related to a state somewhere, there's a, a organization called MSISAC uh, that you can go to and get free uh, services. So if you're like owned by a state government or a city government or something like that, you can get it free there. But you know, there's going to be some wait time before they can help you. In the end, though, it's always going to be a risk decision for the business. Uh, to go down to see if they want to have IR done. Sometimes there will be contractual or regulatory obligations to have it done, so you kind of have to. But whenever you have an incident, your first priority should be recovering, and the second priority should be figuring out what happened. And and hopefully those two can align, that you can do those simultaneously, but sometimes you can't do number two. You know, one other thing that just came to mind, too, is um, if you do have an incident and you're talking to an incident response company, if they're not asking you questions about, you know, what type of information you have or like, you know, what type of uh, security you have in the environment, do you have antivirus, do you centralize logs, do, you know, things like that, that should be a red flag for you because that's going to lead to higher costs. And what may end up happening is they may send you over a quote for, you know, this huge bill and you they get in there and find out that they can't do anything you know if if i go into an environment and you have no logging set up and you have you know no security software and you want me to answer all these questions i i am likely not going to be able to answer 95 percent of those questions uh because that information doesn't exist you know ir people we're good uh forensics people we're good but we're we're not magic if that data doesn't exist we can't magically make it appear so you know, you want to have an idea of, you know, what questions you need answered. And then you know, just ask them, given what we have, do you think that we can answer or do you think that you can answer these questions? They may come back and say, yes, we can, or we think we can. Um, they may come back and say, we're not sure. 
it's going to depend on a couple things and they may come back and say no. And, and I think that will also help define that kind of cost uh, benefit uh, analysis that you have to do for IR. I think the unfortunate truth really is it's expensive. It's going to be expensive. You're dealing with very specialized people, as Tyler was saying, you know, they're, they're good. They're not magic, but they're very good. And they're working in an emergency situation that they can't necessarily plan for. It's very bursty from a capacity standpoint. So just their business model as well has very expensive people. And, you know, they've got this overhead that they've got to deal with. So prices are going to be high. Doing anything in this emergency situation is going to be expensive. So the ways I see, you know, if I put on my CISO hat, that I can lower costs of these things really comes with preparation. How much can I do in advance? Like making sure that we know what to do and we have the plans in place, making sure we have the tools in place. Because if if something happens and your IR provider starts saying, well, you know, do you have antivirus installed? Do you have some sort of an endpoint detection and response tool already deployed on your systems? If you say no, because you haven't planned ahead to have the tools in place to get that information, those IR folks, they're going to be running up these billable hours deploying tools in your environment just to get the tools in place to do the work they have to do before they can start doing the value add work that you're actually wanting them to do. You know, the the way you kind of can bring costs down on an IR is really building the rest of your security program ahead of it to be prepared to make sure you have those capabilities to detect things and actively protect your equipment and your data when something's detected and the ability to respond to them and you know affect changes or whatever on these systems to do things remotely to react and can you recover like not having these tools in place puts you at a huge disadvantage and if you're having to deploy those quickly you know the the, the cost continues to go up and up so like for most small businesses just accepting that the emergency care is going to be very expensive. It's just like healthcare. The emergency care is very expensive. Preventive care is much less so. And so where you really want to, from a strategy standpoint, is, you know, put as much as you can into the preventive care and those controls and protections and processes and practicing and drilling and knowing what you're going to do. And then also plan for the worst and make sure that you know who you're going to call and that you've got an IR firm available or an MSP available to, to help with this stuff. You know, that's that, that's your worst case scenario, last ditch diving catch, but it's it's all that prep work that's going to save you the money. And unfortunately, you got to spend money to save money in that case. And that's where a lot of small businesses also struggle because they see those line items ahead of time and see them as just expenses and necessary evils. But man, once you get into one of these situations, you're, you're going to be wishing and that you had them and you'd be willing to pay almost anything to have <laughs> those things already in place and deployed, you know, that maybe you decided not to buy a year ago. So is there a, um, a resource that's available for somebody that's suddenly in that situation and they can go and they can look and they've opened up the yellow pages and here's a long list of these companies that serve those purposes? Yeah, there definitely are. So again, if you have cyber insurance, that's the first place that I would go to, uh, you know, see who their uh, panel providers are, because uh, that's probably going to be the, well, first off, they're going to be vetted out already by the insurance and they're going to be approved for your policy. Outside of that, 
it, it really depends on the service. I think, I mean, there's no like security yellow pages, at least a reliable one that, that I know of. But a lot of times what I would start with is, you know, looking for who's local to you uh, and just, you know, uh, jump on Google and, you know, search your local area and then incident response, kind of see the list that comes up from there. If you have any, I, I mentioned this on an earlier call, but if you have like a local InfraGuard or other like security organization, definitely go there and talk to the to network and, and talk to the people there because they're going to be able to give you recommendations of people or organizations that they've used for uh, really any security service and, you know, who's good. Sorry, uh, two, two things uh, came to my mind. First is, you know, look and see who's speaking at security conferences. You know, there's, I, I'm pretty sure that there's a security conference that happens every single day of the year or pretty close. Um, if you have like access to like Gartner or, or something like that, you know, they, they also kind of keep track of that type of information. Uh, and even if you don't have access to, the, to those, you can usually find their reports um, either on their website for free or online um, uh, in, in some place that can help you kind of at least look down to see who the, the big players are, or, or I guess more appropriately, who the more affordable players are. Yeah, excellent points. So, John, I hope this was helpful. Uh, did, did, did that answer your questions all right? Well, you, you popped up a couple of things that have given me some thoughts about structuring. So, yeah, I, I think I've got disaster recovery pretty well handled, but, um, yeah, what a can of worms. Yeah, incident response is definitely a can of worms. So, but thank you, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, it was great having you on the show. Well, thank you. It was fun. Yep. Thank you, sir. Man, Tyler, we have had really great conversation uh, from these callers today. They've had wonderful questions and a lot of good information for our listeners. Any final thoughts you want to offer based on the questions, uh, or maybe even questions that folks didn't ask, or anything like that? As we close out the show, I, I think one of the common theme that I was hearing from all the questions, and or at least the the answers that we were giving to the questions, is you know that that preparation is key. You know, what's the Boy Scout motto? You know, be prepared. That that's really key when it comes down to incidents. And you know, I, I despite the fact that I work in incident response, I don't want organizations to have incidents because I know the the stress and the drama that happens with those. I would never wish that upon any organization, but inevitably it'll happen. And so like like you had mentioned, you know, make sure that you're preparing for this. You know, have that incident response plan. Look at what type of security you have in your organization, you know, on the technical side, but also on, you know, kind of the business side, you know, have those processes in place so that if somebody emails you and says, for example, hey, we just changed our bank account number, go ahead and pay that million dollar invoice to this new bank account number, don't just automatically do that. Make sure that your accounting team, you know, knows and understands about that, uh, that they shouldn't just do that. Um, and so really, it, it just comes down to, I think, you know, being prepared for this, you know, taking those steps, you know, finding those resources that we had mentioned, and at least getting that, that knowledge, I think, goes a long way to helping prevent uh, these types of incidents or even just getting through them as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Good, good closing thoughts. Uh, where can folks find you online if they want to reach out or just see what you're doing and keep up with uh, Tyler Hudak? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the easiest way is probably on Twitter. Um, I'm sec, S-E-C, Shoggoth, uh, S-H-O-G-G-O-T-H. Um, that's usually where you, where you can find me. Outside of that, honestly, if anybody would want to email me directly and ask questions, it's uh, tyler.hudak at trustedsec.com. Uh, always willing to answer questions that I can. 
Um, promise I won't send you to sales uh, right away uh, unless you you know want to start talking you know more things. But uh, really, I I'm always happy to answer any questions that I can. Awesome, thank you, Tyler, for being here. I really really appreciate it. You know, it's Friday afternoon, and I know uh, don't want to keep working on Friday afternoons <laughs> as we record this. So I really appreciate you taking time to to meet with me here before you head to Beach Size Rochester. So that's another. Another great conference for security folks. If you're in that area or any any area, B-Sides conferences are great. If you happen to work in IT or security and you are looking to start going to conferences, they're, they're really good local conferences. So, But yeah, thank you for being on the show, Tyler. And also a huge thank you to our listeners. Uh, we do this for you. Uh, so thank you for listening. If you find this valuable or if you know anybody who... Uh, would benefit from hearing what we were talking about today, please share this episode. This is a community service thing that we're doing. Uh, so I, I just want to make sure we get this information out into people's hands to be able to use it. And you can support the show uh, as well by signing up to be a caller uh, or uh, sharing the episode, like I said, or visiting our merch store shop at mindfulsmbshow.com. Uh, you get mugs and t-shirts and that kind of stuff with the uh, Mindful Business Security Show logo on it so you can go tell everybody about your love for the the podcast if you so desire. So um, I appreciate everybody uh, listening today and uh, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, Until next time, stay mindful. Don't miss our next episode. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. Visit fosivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast for show information and links to our social media pages. This has been the Mindful Business Security Show brought to you by Fosivity. Tune in next time when we'll hear accidental CISO say. I'm sitting over here on, on mute, you know, just, just smiling and nodding and resisting the urge to just be like, yes, yes.